Hey, what's up? This is Seth Mosley, host of the Full Circle Music Show. Thanks for listening again this week. And before we dive into it, we wanted to thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Go over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and review. That helps us a ton as we're getting this podcast off the ground. We've got one of my songwriting heroes in the house today, Tony Wood. All right, let's just dive into the episode. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> Glad to, to be, be here. here today. I've loved the podcast. Man, listen, I bet I probably listened to more than half of them that you done. Wow. I love hearing the things that guys that I consider friends, but they but they say things that remind me about what we do, why yeah. we do it, things that, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. And just, man, love hearing their hearts, just, yeah. just yeah. the character and, and the people that they are. Well, that, that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. So... Uh, I kind of just wanted to dive into your backstory because a, a lot of the shows are really just about, you know, you didn't just wake up and become, yeah. tw- you have 28 number ones yeah. in, in overnight, you know, it's been a process. So how did you first stumble upon songwriting? Um, I, w- I was raised in a small farming town in Virginia. Don't want to brag, but we had a stoplight. All right. um, and. <laughs> You know, because it was a small town, the the church, the local Baptist church where I grew up, was such a part of of just the social life growing up. Youth choir was a big part, so that was a real exposure to what was contemporary Christian music at at that point in in the late seventies. Loved that the church music, man. I loved hymns even as a kid. I remember there was something about holy, holy, holy when mm-hmm. I was a little kid. I would, I don't know, maybe because. During the sermons, I spent a lot of time looking in the hymn book as a yeah. kid, too. I don't know that it's a reflection on my pastor growing up, but I just was <laughs> pretty easily distracted. But I, but I always loved hymns, too, just reading the words and, 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 and all of that. Um, pop music in high school, junior high and, high and high school, and then, you know, learned a couple of chords on piano along the, along the way. I was always kind of pestering the, the the girls that played piano at our church. Hey, show me. What's this? And they would maybe a pop song. Hey, show me this intro. Show yeah, me how, yeah. this, how this played. And, and, and they taught me a lot along the way. I started learning chords. Uh, wrote the required 12 bad love songs that every guy <laughs> writes when he sits when he sits down to the piano. It was funny uh, listening to the Jason Ingram podcast. Yeah. Kinda, that's what he, what he said, too. You know, you write, the, you write those bad love songs. And then you um, it just started... What else do I, what else do I want to write about? And, and just the things that I was learning. Late high school was a real growing time in faith for me. Good Bible teaching as a part of our youth group, and I and I started looking around to friends in our youth group, and I thought you get a little insight to their life and what their need is. And I just I would write songs about what was going on in the life of my friends. Hmm. You know, songwriters are dangerous people to, to be around at <laughs> some write all your stuff out there yeah, in public. The, <laughs> writer James Baldwin said, you know, songwriters are just the worst. They raid life. And so we do yeah. that. We, we, yeah. we, we take stuff from their life. But you're, you know, you don't put their name and you don't put the exact stuff of their story in it. Right. But, but wrote it in a way that I hoped could could give hope and encouragement to where they were. And, you know, so grateful in looking back at, 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 at my home church that – they let me play some of my songs either on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. Yeah. Um, I knew at a young age I didn't want to sing, but I, was, I would always get friends from the youth choir that wanted to, to sing. And, and our church gave us that opportunity. I mean, that's incredible. You think about that as a high school kid, and they would sit and 
let us let us right. write a song to be a part of the worship yeah. worship service. An yeah. amazing gift from my home church to me as a young writer. So grateful. Yeah, that's incredible. So I, I meet a lot of songwriters, and even in just this event, the last couple of days here, we're at GMA Immerse mm-hmm. for our listeners who don't know that. But a lot of people come up to me and they're like, "I'm really passionate about songwriting. I I I, I write books full of lyrics, but." I kind of can't really play anything. I'm not a great singer. What do you say to somebody who's kind of in that position? That's the position that, that I was in. I was writing whole songs at that time. And e- even as I went into to college and I started, it was a time, the, the early 80s, when you could mail songs off to a publisher in Nashville that you either got, got the address through Songwriter Magazine or, or there was like some tip sheet that I can't remember what it was. And... I actually got letters back with critiques on my, wow. on my songs. I know. I mean, that's how, that's how long ago it was, because that's not going to happen anymore. But several letters that referenced along the way how incredibly average the music was. Wow. <laughs> and maybe, I mean, they weren't a lot kinder about the lyric, but if there was any compliment in there, anything, it was more on the words than on the music. Hmm. And through that process, after seeing it a couple of times in, in, in a feedback, I started thinking about it. I thought, you know what? It is the message that I am passionate about. I, hmm. I love the words of what it says. I can functionally write an average melody. Sure. I, I knew that, I think, about myself at the time. And, mm-hmm. and somehow, man, in just the, the goodness of God, I thought, I bet out there in America this week there's another guy getting a letter who said, your music is better mm. than, you, than your words. And I've, I've always believed in the sovereignty of God, that He yeah. is big enough to do crazy, incredible things. And I thought, maybe... At some point along the way, in God's incredible goodness, He will introduce me to some people that are more on the melodic side than on the lyric side. So I really, I kind of pulled back on writing complete songs. So there's a period of three or four years where I just said, you know, I'm just going to write lyrics. I'm going to learn everything about it as I can, try to be as good as I can with it, and, and just accumulate these pieces of typed paper with here's a verse, here's a chorus, here's a second verse, and, and here's a bridge, and maybe that'll be that'll open a door at some point with a melody writer. It, you you kind of talked a little bit ago about how you went through college, you were kind of looking for, for co-writers and collaborators. Yeah, and not finding them. Yeah. Guys on the hall that played guitar and, and others are going, hey, you want to write a song? And they'd be like, no. <laughs> and I couldn't find. And so there was this long period of just not writing songs, but just just writing lyrics, trusting that they're out there somewhere. But I, boy, I sure wasn't meeting co-writers at that point. But then too, you know, there weren't great things like immerse at that point that you could travel even a few states away or a conference like Write About Jesus or something like that where you could go to where other writers at your level, at your mm. degree of interest were. No. Yeah. So the, the only hope became this far-off mystical city called Nashville out there, <laughs> out there in the distance. Somehow. Maybe somehow, maybe yeah. someday. Well, what was the, I guess, was, was moving to Nashville kind of the turning point for you then? or <laughs> That was. It was 
I kind of had two loves. I, I loved songwriting, but you know, when you're when you're living in a small town somewhere, you never go. Oh, I'm going to be a songwriter. So you had to, had to be had to be practical. I always loved youth ministry too, because mm. that was such a an influential part of me growing up in my town. Yeah. So I so I more studied for that. But in yeah. the back of my mind was that. But I'd, but I'd love to write songs too. Yeah. And in the goodness of God, you know, both of those have been significant parts of my life. Served on church staffs a number of of years. Loved. Love that, but there, but there was a time finishing school where um, I'd been married about a year and a half at that point, and it's like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Do I take a church job in North Carolina, job in Alabama, Texas, or and, and in the back of my mind is is this? And I'm still writing a lot, yeah. but I'm not having any outlet. And just just lyrics, just, just lyrics at lyrics. that at that point, yeah. So you're writing just pages of lyrics, just books full of things with no melodies. And what was it that you eventually did to to kind of turn that around to where you've had somebody put music to it? Yeah. Well, I've kind of always had two loves along the way. I loved songwriting, but that was kind of like the quiet, unspoken thing of can I can I do this? But I was pretty obsessively doing it with my with my time. I loved youth ministry because my church was so significant growing up. So that's kind of what I studied. That was the the practical thing to do. Songwriting was maybe the impractical thing. I, I don't mm. know, but it, but the, but or the pipe dream. I was was married about a year and a half, getting toward graduation. It's time to really make that decision that kind of casts mm. the the direction for what the next season of life is going to be. Do I take a church job in North Carolina and Texas? Do I, do I, you know, would we would we move to Nashville? You know, it was a prayer thing. My wife and I talking, but we're both from small towns. Our families are all there. Nobody's left, and and my wife walks in one day and says, "Oh, let's." Let's go to Nashville, see what apartments are going for. And it was a significant turn. It, it's a holy moment in life that I mm. still look back because God kind of moved her heart. Wow. So we we packed up, came here, knew absolutely no one. I remember a couple of friends that drove the U-Haul out with us, dropped us off in a little apartment over near the airport. They drove away back to Virginia, and my wife and I look at one another like, It'd be great to call somebody and say, "Hey, let's go get coffee." But but, right. we, but we didn't know we didn't know anybody. So yeah. it was that it was that crazy thing of chasing a dream or lonely years, not you know not knowing um, anybody in publishing. Took sure. took temp jobs, worked just kind of doing the grunt stuff that 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 you do. Um, yeah, ASCAP was real helpful to me early early as a songwriter. There was a conference that they offered like about five or six Monday nights in a row in October where they brought in writers, producers, publishers, some great instruction, something in that that was so significant. Songwriter Dwight Lyle said, the hardest meeting to get in Nashville with a publisher is not the first meeting. The hardest meeting to get is the second meeting. Mm. And it just killed me in that moment because I am such an introvert. I am, you know, and they would talk, use the word networking. And I hate the word (laughs) because networking feels like walk across this room and introduce yourself to this stranger and tell them why they need to get to know you. And it's like, it's against everything within me. I'd rather just take a meeting than than do that. (laughs) And I was like, oh, Oh no! If the hardest meeting to get is the second one, I I better be ready when I get that. When I finally get the nerve up to go introduce myself, I've got to know that I'm that I'm ready. 
Um, so, you know, that sends me into a month or so of panic about what do I do? What do I do? And I came up with this idea. Tom Long was the head of membership at ASCAP at that time. And he had put the conference on. The conference had happened three or four months earlier. And I'd been stewing on that. And so, you know, here was the first professional initiation for me. I picked up the phone and I called Tom. I said, Tom, in the course that, that you moderated, somebody said the hardest meeting to get with a publisher is not the first, the hardest is the second. I need to be ready. I need somebody to tell me if I'm ready. Mm. And here comes the ask, Tom, will you be that man for me? Wow. And Tom says, well, nobody's kind of ever asked me that, but okay, I'll tell you what, every couple of months, give me a call, bring me some of the lyrics that you're writing, and I'll take a look at them and tell you. Mm. You know, I can't tell my story without such gratitude to Tom yeah. Tom Long for that. But that was, so I take the first meeting with, with Tom Long, walk in the three current pieces of paper that I've, that I've typed up, put them on his desk, sit there, you know, quietly, Feeling my organs separating while he's while he's yeah. reading in the moment, just the tension, <laughs> just dying right there. Yeah. And Tom reads three and says, "I've got some people you need to meet. Get wow. in the car." Drove me around to four publishers. I'd done my homework. I knew who the publishers. Were. I knew these people. I knew who their writers were. I knew the songs that they were having success with at that point. The first three dismissed me pretty quickly. And go, eh. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. And the fourth one was Michael Purrier, who was with a small company, Lorenz Creative Services, that was going at the time. They had just they had just signed Stephen Curtis, though before his first record, wow. that was his first home. And and um, they had recently signed Marcus Hellman, who wrote God Bless the Broken right. Road. And yeah. so it was kind of this small little boutique thing that was going on. And Michael is more of a, a lyric guy, and and he said, oh, why don't you start hanging around here some and let me see if I can get some of our guys to write with you. And that and that was, you know, the life changing moment for me. I'm yeah. so grateful to Michael for early belief in me. Sure. So backing up, because the just the move to Nashville is such a huge leap of faith in, in the moment. I don't want to gloss over that for you and your wife. I'm sure that was just like a a monumental thing. How does somebody know when they're ready to do that. <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> there is no knowing. There is nobody that's going to say oh, the time is right. You, you, you need to. I mean, it's that, it is that line between faith and foolishness that's mm. so close in there. You, you don't know. But I remember there was a point when, when I was finishing up school and still writing, you know, frantically accumulating lots of sheets of paper and they were in a box kind of under, under a bed, early 20s. And I remember thinking, I can't imagine hitting 50 and not knowing, not trying. Hmm. I, could, I could live if I dared to show those to somebody and they said, oh, thanks, but no, there's really not a place for you. Yeah. But I couldn't live with myself if I didn't at least try. I remember sometimes feeling almost claustrophobic at that thought, like, if I hit 50 and I've never at least tried, I almost, I almost couldn't breathe yeah. thinking about that. So that was, that was some of the motivation that, you know, if they had said, no thanks, go, go away, I could have lived with that. I could have gone and gotten, I could have worked at a church and been real happy with, with that, knowing that I tried, but not trying just was killing me. Yeah. 
you, you hit on a pretty, a pretty big fear of a lot of young artists and writers as well, too, that how do you get that first person to say, yeah, come write with me? You know, you don't just get invited into a room with some of these guys, especially who are at the top. So you got to start somewhere. You don't. And and Michael Perrier is the first professional champion in my story. And and he invited other guys that were also coming through his door at that point. Young writers, much like myself, new to town, and just put us in, in rooms. And it, it's been fun through the years because some of the great things have happened for most of those guys. And there's this sense that we came through the door together. We wrote a lot of bad songs early on together. And yet... We eventually started getting a couple of songs on records. And man, they're they're such a part of my story. They're yeah. they're friends for life. Just grateful. Yeah, and it really was that thing that I believed ten years before it that they were out there and mm. that and that God in his goodness and his sovereignty could do it. And then when he did it, I mean, just just overwhelming. You know, so so those are those are markers for me along the way that says Hey, God's got it. He's got your story. He's writing it. He trust trust him. And yet, I still worry about stuff. It's yeah. just it's the insanity of, of 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 what we do. You know, I ought to be I ought to say, gosh, there's so much evidence that he's got it. Don't worry, but still do. Yeah. So you've had an astounding 28 number one radio singles in your career. When you get another number one, is it does it even kind of phase you anymore? <laughs> Such gratitude, man. So I mean, really, am just to think because because it goes back to this. I think every song that you write, go back to the very first song that you ever, ever wrote. It's just an attempt to connect with people, to kind of say, "I have felt this way," and you kind of, you know, very sheepishly, almost uncomfortably, put it out this way. Have you ever felt this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, your friends responded, to, oh, I love that. Or or, or somebody said, mm, I don't like that. Don't, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's a, a song's an attempt at connection. And so, gosh, I mean, it just says that there have been some along the way that really connect. You don't tie your identity to it. Every, every song that does well, you're grateful for God. You think about the people that it connects with, but yeah. you just stay grateful. So this is your 25th year? Right in in it the is. music industry as a as a sign staff writer, sign yeah. staff yeah. songwriter. That's that's amazing, crazy. So I'm sure it's changed <laughs> from 25 years ago to today yeah. because I've only been in it for seven or eight years, and I know how yeah. much it's changed. Yeah. What are some of the big differences that you've kind of seen over the years? One of the most significant, I, I would say, probably is that when when I was first signed in, in the early 90s and, and through the 90s, there were more artists that were not songwriters. So a day looked more like appointments with other writers just getting together to write just what was the best song you could think of to write that day and then a publisher running with it. These days, you know, the majority of artists that are on a label label really do have a creative hand in that. That's not good. That's not bad. That's, that's just change. That's just... I think I've seen enough things that I don't I don't freak out about stuff like that because 
at any moment, there are so many pendulums in place over a five-year period. We've signed so many, oh, women are all are the only voice on radio now. Oh, it's only male artists. Oh, it's vocal groups. Oh, it's, it's we, we're loving some vertical lyrics right now. Oh, well, now we're loving very singer-songwriter, storytelling kind of lyrics. Production pendulums all over the place. Styles. Uh, it, it comes and goes. And that and that's okay. You just you just adapt to that. You stay true to heart messages that you passionately want to write. But mm. but you know every every marketplace is ever evolving. Yeah. So do you think it's easier or harder now for someone to break in as a new songwriter? I think it, I think it would be a little harder. I, there's just something about well the music business as, as a whole just the economics of that i think it would be a little harder and yet you know i say that and go but great songs and great songwriters find a way great mm-hmm. songs do open the door great writers who can con- who can continue to create at a at a commercial level a high volume of songs they find a way so it's that's always been a, a fact of the marketplace Brett James said, you ain't that hot when you're hot, and you ain't that not when you're not. Yeah. Can you talk about the ups and downs a little <laughs> bit? Because I'm sure you've weathered a few of them. Yeah. I, swear, I, saw, I saw that quote in the Tennessean one day when he, when he was speaking about something, and I thought, that's perfect. That's just, that's just it. And because in that, I see the danger of, of tying your identity into any measure of success mm. because our identity is man we're, we're children of God we're servants of him we're servants of his bride the church that that's who we are we are called to love people mm-hmm. people are more important than any songs the the way we go about our business matters the way that we yeah. that we value people more than things along the way. The more that in a co-write, you begin by caring about that person that is in the room with you that day. If you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't get to the song, but they're at a but they're at a bad spot and you need to stop and pray for them today, or man, you, you've had those moments that a co-write really turns into more of a counseling session. Right. And to have that kind of <laughs> water under the bridge with people that you trust, a, yeah. a degree of intimacy that you can talk about those things. That's the stuff that's important. The songs will songs will come out of that. So that's who you are. We do this thing that is evaluated and measured along, you know, there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like what you're doing. Um, songwriter Stephen Sondheim said, it's, it's been made clear to me that I will never be the most popular songwriter ever. So I've decided to just be grateful anytime anybody likes anything. Wow. And I, I think that's, that's good. Celebrate. And, and my wife has been that's real good, good with this along the way, just to celebrate the little things. Just it's not the number one. It's like, man, you got a, you got a song on a record. The, the, gosh, that's the hurdles that any song on any record has jumped to get there. I, I think any cut on any record is n- a near miraculous thing. Mm. There, it's it's fifty reasons why it could have been shot down at any moment, and I and I've seen that happen sometimes. That just on a whim, well, that one didn't make it, or at the last minute, oh, well, that one jumped back in the race. So. You're either going to live and die by all of that, and it's going to wreck you, mm-hmm. or you trust God's got it. Mm-hmm. He, he's in charge of all of that. And 
it doesn't it doesn't affect your identity. That's good. Well, you've had over 700 songs cut in the CCM marketplace. That's not you've written 700 songs for the CCM marketplace. 700 cut. So, how many is that that are that are out there, you know? I mean, that's, I'm sure it's not a one for one sort of oh deal, gosh, right? No, cuz it's probably my first year as a staff writer. I wrote 25 songs, and every year since then, it's been 75 to 150. So That's unreal. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a high volume, but gosh, there's nothing. It's my favorite thing on the planet to do. Yeah. It's what I would be doing if they weren't paying me. Don't hmm. don't tell my publishers that. But it's yeah. but it's yeah. but it's what I was doing before I came here to town, and it's um, I love it. How is it possible? 75 150 songs a year what where do you even get new ideas where does that how does that not just run out the piece that i think about along those lines sometimes is in the last few years i've I've been reading some about the attributes of god And and the thing that really hits me is the inexhaustible nature of god Hmm. we will never write enough songs to capture God. There's never a moment where you say, well, that's done. We, we, we nailed him down on that. That's his, his, his beauty, his wonders, his attributes are limitless. Mm. Uh, we will forever sing about his holiness, about his faithfulness, about his love, about his mercy, his grace, about his power, all of these things. We can never exhaust the wonder of him. So we j- just keep. I keep looking at that. I keep looking yeah. at, looking at his character. You know, along the way, you're going to write a lot of songs with the same theme, but you continue to find new windows, hopefully fresh windows. And and I think for any writer, any successful writer, there are some great songs along the way, and a lot of you hope good, very right. good. Right. But you but you know yourself well enough to know everything's not great. Yeah. I mean, but but you hope that there are that there are some great. Sure. So if you were outside of writing songs in the CCM market space, for instance, if anybody's listening who's in in the country world and or in pop and and they don't have that, do you feel like they're at kind of a disadvantage in terms of, well, what else is there to write about? <laughs> um, <laughs> Boy, but pop music and country music have, has done really well with love for for yeah. for a hundred years or so now. That's, so that, that's that, well that's, said. That's inexhaustible. I think people will you'll continue to look at at, at all of the angles or that. It's it's funny. I mean, God loved it. It's like diamonds that you just keep you keep holding them up to the light, and you see different flashes of color that you maybe hadn't seen before. And mm, that's good. Every time you think, "Well, I think I'm just about tapped out on it," then there'll be something you read in a book, something you hear in a conversation that you go, "Oh my gosh, that's not been written before." That's what I'm looking for. Hmm. I love this Woody Allen quote: "If you're not failing every now and then, you're playing it safe. Yeah, playing it too yeah. safe." What does that mean to you? Well, it, it's that reminder to keep reaching. When, when I saw that quote a, a few years back, I went. Okay, so we try some things, and they don't work. That's the path I want to be on. I love that along the way. I've always had great relationships with publishers that I trusted. That mm. you know, I said, Michael, Holly Zabka for a lot of years was, was my publisher, a great friend, great co-dreamer the, at, at Word right now. Love the people because there is this, there is this trust and there is this intimacy to dream with somebody. How vulnerable that is yeah. To, yeah. to say to somebody, hey, I'd love 
to do this? Hey, can mm-hmm. we try to get on this record together? Hey, is it possible to get with, with that artist? Because I've always joked with my publishers and said, the goal is simple. I just want one song on every record. But the, of course, that's ridiculous. But in the reaching for them all, you know what? Some crazy good things have happened. So you, so you keep reaching. You get a lot of thanks, but no thanks. You get a guy say, hey, not right. But that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with the failing. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt sometimes. Sometimes still more than others when you think, boy, I'd love to get a shot at that. And then go, no, not, not now. Yeah. Um, it still hurts. But, but when I pan back and look at the big picture, I go, no, that's still the path that I want to be on. I, I want to reach. I want to try. Yeah. I want to dream. That's good. It's a good word. I want to go on to another quote because you, you sent me all these quotes and I'm just like, man, these are so inspiring. And I just kind of want to hear what they mean to you. So I love this one by Lloyd Shadrach that nothing destroys contentment like comparison. Yeah. Lloyd's one of the pastors at our church and a few years back said that in a sermon. It just kind of took my breath in that moment because it just was, it was where I, I think I was at that moment. And yet, you know, sitting in small rooms with creatives for, for, for this many years, you know what the, what the heart and the soul of other creative people. We do this thing where our product is compared. There is a, there mm. is a number 20 on a chart. There is a 15. There is a 5. There is a, there is a 1. What we do is compared. And mm. yet, if, it was what I said a while ago about identity. If it's tied to that, then I lay awake at night yeah worrying about everything and and it sends you to gross places because if you if you go hey i i'm this well that's just that's the ugliness of pride and you don't want to be that guy yeah but to, but but to realize um, if i can if i can live with that tension between spirit and flesh and truly celebrate other people. That, that's been a piece along the way that I, I, I want to be committed to that, to cheer into, for buddies when good things happen to them, when, when, when good of, of any kind, when they get great opportunities. Man, I really do. Because in the end, you know, it's not about me. It is about God being glorified. And if He is glorified through somebody else's song, then that's the goal at, at the end of it. That's, that's, why I moved to town. I hope I could have a, a part in God being glorified. That's the theme of the story. So if God's glorified through your, your song, I'm going to cheer for that. That's good. Well, I'd love to transition to kind of some practical things. You're a great teacher, and you're, you've been doing these kind of lyric classes. Can you talk about a few of the mistakes that beginning songwriters often make? Yeah. I think one, and, and you know, I can't talk about this with going, this is just pulled out of my story, mistakes that, that I made along the way. I, I heard somebody talk about great songs have a North Star. They have one truth. Every great song has only one truth written through it. And I, and I you know, for me as a lyric writer, there were times where I'd just start scribbling down lines and, um, oh, and, 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 you know, on the back of back of a paper bag or something while, while I'm driving along or in a notebook, and I'm thinking that oh look at this song that's just that that moment of inspiration when it's just downloading and you feel so alive and enthusiastic about that, and you think that that's the song and you um, you you got a verse you got half a chorus maybe you got all the chorus couple of lines for the second verse and then the pen kind of stops, and as a young writer I think oh this is the song this is the draft of the song and. 
and learned along the way that, no, that's really just the stuff of a song. Mm. So you go back to this North Star, this one truth that you have said, this is what this song is about. And you start evaluating the line. So look at that first line. Yes, that, say, that says what that North Star is. Second line, third line. But there will always come this point in this song where either the end of the verse, second line in the chorus, where you have this tough moment, this moment of decision because you go, you know deep inside of you that it does not support the theme of the song. Hmm. And you're like, but I like this line. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't support this. But my friends will like this line. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't support the theme. But the rhyme is so cool. They'll think I'm cool with this line. But it doesn't support the theme. And the, and the mature writer will scrap that line and do the hard work of coming up with another line. So there's a bit of dying to yourself in the good writer that, hey, it's not about you. Now, if you want to make it about you, then, then do the cool artistic thing so that people applaud you for that. But the great song has just this laser-like arrow focus where every line is about one thing that moves the song, nothing that distracts. Mm. Um, I think that's I think that's a significant yeah. part for 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 a young writer. Uh, an, another piece that, that was meaningful to me early on because I, I had this period I went through where I had a lot of verse and chorus lyrics mm. and no second verse, and I was stuck. And it was like this period of months where it seemed like I was. That more than 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 I had been before, and it was really bothering me. It was really frustrating. It was like, well, if this is what it means to be a writer, I don't I don't know that I want to because this is a, this is incredibly frustrating. And I wish I could go back and find what I read at the time. It was an interview with some writer, but he talked about sometimes if you approach the song from an outline place of kind of going back to to you know middle school, junior high. English grammar classes where the teacher made you outline the paper before you wrote it and you hated doing that. But if you've got even if you don't do it on paper, but you've got a bit of an outline in your in your head for where this song is gonna go. Sometimes if we're sitting down writing and we I love to take a, a minute or two extra on the front end to get just a thought or two that can be in that second verse, even if it's just a word or two that I'll write in the margin so that I don't put it in the first verse. What I found out I was doing a lot of times when I was stuck was in the rush to say everything about this idea, I was putting my whole song in the first verse. Mm. And sometimes what I realized was that, that third line of the first verse really was my the beginning of my second verse. Mm. That it wasn't a problem of content, it was a problem of pacing. That I just need a more relaxed approach to letting it unfold a little more gradually and then take one of those ideas that I've crammed into the first verse and it really, oh look, I can build a whole second verse out of that. That was so wow. helpful to me. Wow. Yeah. Well that's I, I just took it's like I just took a master class in lyric writing. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, you released a book not too long ago. I did. Incredible opportunity that came that came my way. Um, it was tied into a song I wrote a few years back called Find Your Wings that Mark Harris was a member for him uh, we wrote and 
the, the song was a prayer for our kids of, of as they grow, what they would dream about doing for for God with their mm-hmm. lives. Just just a prayer for a dad over a kid. Started talking in the in the publishing office about the is is there a gift book piece or, or, around that? Um, it didn't happen at that time. A few years later, Devin DeVries, the publisher at Sony, was going through some folders on his computer, and he's like, "Hey, what's this about this book here?" Um, and I told him about. It. He's like. I know I know some people in the publishing world, and he took some meetings and showed it. And they said, "We don't need the exact book that you're that you're suggesting, but what if we did a book of 365 prayers for your kid? Different topic every day, based on scripture, but just as a as a parent, as a mom, dad, or together as a couple, you could pray this for your child, for your, for your children." So, you know, grateful for Devin for chasing that down, for Broadman Holdman taking a chance on a guy who had yeah. written a book before. And, you know, it came out and it's actually on store shelves. That's amazing. And what's what's the what's it called? It's called A Parent's Book of Prayers. A Parent's Book of Prayers. Well, I'm going to go get it because I have a 21-month-old daughter now. <laughs> and you, I, don't, you don't have to because I, I may, I've got an extra copy in my bag for well, you. Well, so. I'll, I'll buy it. I, I support... <laughs> Workman's worth is higher. So, you. you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, I've just been inspired listening to you talk and it makes me want to jump back into the studio and just go to work and just grind it out. Yeah. So what is it every day, if you could kind of sum it up into one thing, what is it that keeps Tony Wood marching forward after 25 years being in a, what's a crazy business? Yeah. In, in the songwriting business, yeah, some days it's my mortgage, um, <laughs> and 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 kids going to college and and all of those things. That's pretty motivating. Also, I mean, what I said about continuing, I mean, what a crazy luxury a part of our job to sit around every day and think about who God is mm-hmm. and to try to give words to that and to, to think about hurting people in situations and to lead them through the power of a great song. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I still have songs that I hear on the radio that move me to tears that I go, that's exactly the song that, that I needed today. And so the chance to create those, those lifeline songs that people cling to, mm-hmm. man, that's still... That's that excites me. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Tony, this has been amazing. I think our listeners will get a ton out of it. So thank Thanks, you so uh, much for taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me and for continuing to do these podcasts, man. I sure enjoy them. It's awesome. Thanks so much. 